Welcome to The Report Card, the education policy podcast from the American Enterprise Institute. In just a matter of weeks, coronavirus has toppled a long-standing pillar of our education system, students receiving in-person instruction from teachers. Yet in the face of this turbulent change, teachers around the country have unwaveringly stepped up to help their students and their colleagues adapt to these constraints. On this episode of The Report Card, I talked to three teacher leaders who are forging the path forward for distance learning amid the coronavirus pandemic. Joining me are Jody Jantz, a science teacher at Goodrich Middle School in Lincoln, Nebraska. Also, Megan Helper, Nebraska's 2020 Teacher of the Year, who teaches English at Burwell Junior Senior High School. And last, but certainly not least, Diane Smokorowski, Kansas's 2013 Teacher of the Year, who currently serves as an innovation and technology lead teacher in Andover Public Schools in Andover, Kansas. Jody, Megan, Diane, welcome to the report card. So first of all, let me just ask, it's been a crazy few weeks. How have you guys handled the change? Well, we were coming off of spring break when they told us that uh, students weren't coming back. And so it was a bit surreal. We had teachers report to the building and it was a little bit like we were getting ready for school again in August. We were having whole staff meetings, which isn't normal for us. And then we were breaking up into our normal PLC groups. And uh, there was a lot of chaos, not because nobody knew what to do, but because it's just so new that things changed within the hour. Megan, how about for you? We had maybe an inkling that this was coming. And so we kind of prepped students on Monday and I'm glad that we did because then Monday after school, our administration said that that was going to be it for a couple weeks. Here in Kansas, I would say that, isn't it quite interesting that 24 hours feels like a week? Things rapidly, continually change. And uh, if you think back two weeks when a lot of these things started to occur, I think we were blissfully unaware but slightly cautious that something was going to come down the line but we were still having spring break on the mind and that we would still get to do these adventures with families and then it was like a, a hard 90 degree turn all just really quickly and folks have been a little bit shock and awe in one turn but on the other side i think teachers are putting themselves right in the line of what do we need to do to make this work for our kids. So I'm stepping up, I'm pivoting, I may not be going to Daytona, but I'm going to go make magic happen for kids. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, just one way to kind of put this in context, this, we're recording this on the last day of March, and on the first day of March, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, and Mike Bloomberg were still in the race for the Democratic nomination for president, and that seems about two years ago to me. Let me ask you about some of the things that you all have been involved in, just jumping right in to the, the teacher leader role. Diane, you in Kansas have worked on this task force as the chair for continuous learning for the Kansas State Department of Education. What was the goal of that task force? What was your charge? Yes, what happened was we received a charge from our commissioner of education to say, I need folks who'd be willing to stand up, put their hands up and say, let's go create something for schools to get ready for a long-term rollout of online continuous learning. The key to this is that we called it continuous learning. 
It is not remote learning. It is not homeschooling. It is not online learning. All of those have different context. We are continuing to learn wherever you are, however you can connect, or if you cannot, we're just continuing the school year learning. And that call happened on a Saturday, less than 24 hours later, we had 40 teachers all lined up to do this work across the state, covering each of the content areas. We had, we had music people, and we had art people, and we had all of these folks at the table, including special ed and ELL representation, and we broke ourselves up into subcommittees saying, what is it that we need to do to help these populations and their families? And let's go make some magic happen. But the key to it all was that the teachers led in that. It was not told or designed or directed by anybody besides teachers. And I think that's the reason why it works. And Diane, you had said that you asked the commissioner when he called you to participate in this, okay, but stay out of our way. And they did. How quickly were you able to put together this guidance and release it? 72 hours is all it took. And I will say that those conversations, meetings and subcommittees never stopped. We broke off into subgroups, but those meetings happened overnight, all day long. We just popped in and out and checked in as a larger group about every three hours or as the chair people, we were in constant contact. So we really didn't sleep, but you couldn't help but love the energy at the same time. I'm sure. So Megan, you are not in Kansas and it's a different scene in Nebraska because in Kansas you have one of the sort of most broad school closures where the whole state is closed and they're closed for the rest of the academic year. And in Nebraska, you don't have a state mandated closure. It's up to districts. I understand they're all closed, but tell me how those differences play out when in Nebraska, this is a district by district decision. It is a little bit different because we have teachers that are not quite sure, am I going to be out of school just for a couple of weeks? Is this going to be for a couple of months? Is this going to be until, the, you know, are we out until summer? So it does kind of affect and impact how we are providing lessons for our students because many teachers think, well, if this is going to be fairly short term, I am going to kind of go this route, you know, or, hey, if I know that we're going to be out for the rest of the school year, I may be doing something different. So in that regard, it is challenging. And I think each teacher, you know, and as a group, we're trying to support each other on what we think is best. Yeah, and that sort of makes sense, right? Because Diane has a role to jump in statewide that Nebraska might not have. And Jody and Megan, you're both in Nebraska. Jody, how do you see playing it out from one district to the next? I think Lincoln is the second largest district in the state. We've got 42,000 students. And I think one of the most interesting things I've found about it is Dr. Weber, our head of human resources, had noted one time that change in our district is like a U-boat moving. It just is slow and takes a long time to get momentum. We, uh, we were a speedboat this last two weeks. Change was, was made. It was well thought out. Thank you, Kansas, because we loved the document last week when we got it. For us, the problems are a little bigger. We have 42,000 students, and I, I'm going to let me preface this by saying I'm just a teacher. So when I get the data wrong, please don't quote me. We have about 43% free and reduced lunch across our district. We have about, what are we at, about 12% English language learners. I suppose the district's closer to 8%. So we have multiple problems that, don't, that aren't encountered in smaller communities. 
So our, our problem has been, how do you support everybody? And equity has, has been one of the big, big themes that goes through most of our Zoom meetings. Sure. That's certainly a challenge. Megan, let me ask you, you wrote a op-ed in the Lincoln Journal Star, and then I guess it, it trickled to a number of other places where you wanted to just raise teacher voice about how to support teachers through this. What'd you write? Well, what was happening is that many schools had decided to close uh, for a while. We don't know how long. And of course, we were putting students' health and safety as our number one priority. But what many teachers were reaching out to me across the state was that they were still being required to report to their school building daily to, quote, put in the hours or to, quote, make the taxpayers happy. And that really, that's not okay with me. And many teachers were they weren't panicked, but they were concerned about their own health and safety, about what was really the purpose of going into their actual school building each day. So as hard as it is to admit or to say out loud, at that exact moment, teaching students was in fact not our number one priority. Our number one priority was keeping people alive. And teachers, they also need to feel safe and secure and that their health and priority is being um, taken care of as well. Once everybody has that kind of peace, then teachers are going to hit the ground running and we're going to come up with some fabulous lessons and ideas to roll out to our students. But it was really important to me that teachers across the state were also feeling uh, respected to do their jobs at home. Many superintendents kind of had that, um, maybe they didn't come right out and say it, but in a roundabout way of, well, we don't necessarily trust you to do your job at home, so we want to keep an eye on you. Thankfully, I think many districts have switched where teachers do have the option now to work from home. Each school district, though, is still different, and there are still teachers going into school daily. Yeah, and it's great to, you know, extend that voice because sometimes you got to speak truth to power, right? Uh, Jody, I know that you've been assisting with efforts to provide uh, educational programming for elementary and secondary students. And again, you know, when you're in Nebraska, some of this, the, the stuff that might not come down from the state level is going to sort of depend on more localized communities. Uh, tell us more about um, your efforts to provide leadership to your colleagues. Well, our NEA group had reached out and News Nebraska TV and LPS to provide live television. And so we got emails out say, hey, come teach a lesson. It's only 27 minutes. And so there were a number of us that said, yeah, I could go teach for 27 minutes. It gave us an opportunity to try out some live TV formatting, some interactions. How, how do you interact with a student if I'm here in my room and you are out there? So it was a nice thing to experiment with. You, we got to work with uh, people from, I was trying to think how far away. They were mostly local because we were, we were not coming from across the state. If I could hop in there, this is Megan again. Uh, that program is really great. It's called News Channel Nebraska. I'm actually the secondary lead teacher on that for the state. And it started off with wanting to have teachers come to Lincoln to film. However, as things have progressed, we have now gone where teachers can submit a lesson digitally. So we are actually being able to have teachers from across the state submit and teach lessons. And it airs every day, Monday through Friday, one to three. And it's just really been an incredible way for teachers from all across the state to kind of showcase their like 
this is my gold star lesson. And we've received several comments from grandparents, parents, and kids saying thank you, because this is on a free news channel. You do not have to be a subscriber to any sort of package. And so those kids that maybe do not have internet at home or do not have a dish or direct TV package can access News Channel Nebraska and at least get two hours of instruction each day. Yeah. Diane, I'm, I'm interested in checking in with you about what you've seen in Kansas. What are the kind of tools that teachers want to use right now? I mean, the example of television in Nebraska is honestly not the first thing that comes to my mind. On the ground, what do teachers seem to want to use? That is a great question. And I would tell you that television is on our thoughts as well, especially if we're reaching out to our rural communities where if you go out in Western Kansas, I'm assuming it's similar in Western Nebraska, you've got students who can't get cable packages at all, but they can get radio, they can get PBS, or they can get a local access kind of channel. So we are actually very curious about this and how that can come together. We've been watching some of the things coming out of Arkansas and Nebraska for that. So thank you for being leads on that conversation, friends. Uh, the other tools that folks are really exploring a lot, we're seeing a lot of course video conferencing. I think there has to be this really big question about video conferencing when it comes to equity. We cannot expect children and their families to drop everything to be on live calls. And I think we have to keep that in our mindset that we cannot punish anyone if you don't have access. So there is a lot of conversation around that. We're seeing a lot of things working with tools like Remind, because if you don't have internet access, you can still text a message out to all the families. They can respond in text and video back. And then I would say the other thing that's really popping up is not only LMS tools, but how can we challenge students to use the tools that they have, whether it just be their cell phone camera or art mediums that they haven't played with in years, like shaving cream on shower doors or in cookie sheets. What are tools that we have in our houses that can help with learning? So, Diane, I'm interested in what it looks like for school districts to be really up and running, right? Uh, and Megan, Jody, I'm curious your thoughts on this as well. Obviously, it's suboptimal to not be at school. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think anybody's saying, this is great, this is exactly what we want. So then the question becomes, well, how suboptimal is it? And you know, where's like the frontier when we're really up and running, when we're catching our stride? What do you think that looks like? And how long might we expect to wait until we kind of figure that out and really get our sea legs here? Well, I will tell you in my own district in Andover, we are seeing teacher leadership shine like it's never shown before. We are having uh, teachers help their colleagues figure out tech tools and figure out lesson plans they're sharing across the district. Now the district PLC is a real live breathing experience where it's not what's important in my room and not what's in yours. We're seeing this really interesting collaboration going down. And Diane, also, for PL yeah. Diane, for PLC, you mean professional learning community? Correct. Okay. So it's all the first grade teachers across the district are having conversations. And how can we divide and conquer around some of these things? So their collaboration and lesson planning and design is fantastic. It's really been fun to see. Not only that is across the state, 
we have a Facebook group for Kansas educators and we're helping each other that way as well. So it's very much of let's pull our boots up and make this magic happen together. So I'll pass that over for a minute and then I'll talk to you about what my dream is next. <laughs> Nat, here in Lincoln, and I can speak for science, but I, I would make the assumption that, that everybody else is very similar to us. Um, our district person has put together a drop site for, for ideas based on some of our science objectives. So there's a, a, a Excel spreadsheet, for lack of a better use, where I can go fill out a form and I can say, hey, here's the lesson I just did on inertia if anybody needs it. Here's a video clip I found on car crashing if anybody needs it. And, and I, I would concur that uh, normally my PLC involves two other people that I've been with for at least 10 years. And so all of a sudden we're getting to talk with people that are across our district that spark ideas sometimes that you hadn't thought about for a long time. It's been a really positive experience. Yeah, this is Megan, I'll chime in as well. I think it's really important as teachers that we remember that this isn't a competition, like to see who can do more with their lessons and who can do the most, that we're all in this together. And it's been really wonderful to see teachers from across the state really sharing and exchanging ideas, but also keeping in mind that you know your students very well and your students know you very well so you kind of have to be competent in what you're doing and know that you're not competing or comparing yourself to other teachers that you're doing what's best for your set of students at this time and your students know and understand that as well so diane you said you tell me what your dream was so i want to hear it <laughs> so you asked about the next frontier right if we could fast forward what does the crystal ball say if the collaboration continues. I would say what you're going to see is for the first time a, a real conversation about cross-curricular collaboration. I think you're going to see our specials teachers sit down with sciences and the humanities and say, friends, how do we align all of our standards to collaborate together? And that, I think, is a magical spot to be in. I, I would agree that, that that's one thing that we'd done in the past that we'd moved away from when we went to one-to-one, -one, here was about five years ago, one-to-one -one computers. We kind of pulled back from that collaboration and now we're getting that opportunity to do it again. Agreed here in rural Nebraska as well. I've really trying to bring in a lot of the arts into English language and really doing a lot of journaling and focusing on the five senses. It's beautiful to have that cross-curricular engagement and lessons for the students. And now that we're seeing places like the Met streaming operas and we're seeing authors share their stories and opening up the conversation to uh, loosen those copyright things for storytelling. And now we're having conversations with the public access channels. For the first time, the conversations to build partnerships are not hard. Now we have the ability to have kind of a startup mindset and how we can reimagine what school can be. Even though it's a short window, I think we're going to start forging conversations and partnerships and relationships to really make education shine in a different way. Well, let me ask you about what is arguably the most important partnership you have in education. I have a colleague who says that education is a handshake between teachers and parents and that they each have to hold up their end of the bargain. Well, it's tough for teachers right now, but as a parent and even a former teacher who has three kids at home, let me tell you, it ain't easy for parents either. So let me ask you, what do you and your colleagues think it's reasonable to expect of parents and 
really what, on the one hand, I don't want to say, what do you expect from parents? But we also respect parents and we know that they have to contribute. So what do parents have to bring to the table in what's really a, you know, a time of crisis? I can't speak for everybody, but as a middle level teacher, the connection between parents and, and teachers in school is a little farther apart. You know, I have 20 parents come to conferences and I have 125 students for a variety of reasons. That doesn't mean they don't care. That doesn't mean they're not engaged. That doesn't mean they don't want to be there. As they get older, it gets harder to make that connection. So I, I, I'm speaking as two middle school, a middle school and a high school kid at my house, getting them to engage has been hard this first couple of weeks, but I think, I think the key is to start small. And so I think if we can keep, keep from overwhelming parents and overwhelming kids, that I think we'll be able to turn this into something really cool. We're kind of lucky that we have eight weeks to play with it, at least here in our district. I think some of our lessons are going to start out pretty shaky, but I think once we hit our stride, there are going to be some amazing things created that we'll use for a long time. This is Megan jumping in. This is my third week now of doing whatever we want to call it, continuous continuum of learning uh, from home. And I just have to say for rural Nebraska, I can't speak for everybody, but I am incredibly thankful that I know most of my students and their parents and have known them for many years. So I feel comfortable speaking to parents, emailing them, calling them on the phone if need be, but also respecting their space and knowing that we're not expecting them to turn into teachers overnight, that we are still here, we're here to support them and their students. But just really having those relationships in place, now it's becoming quite apparent that having relationships, not just with your students, but with their parents are incredibly valuable in times like this. And most parents, I just tell them, be patient with me, just like I'm trying to be patient with your students. And we're gonna get through this. It's not an all or nothing. We're learning as we go. And we're gonna be patient with each other and we're gonna make this work. Absolutely. I love what Megan said. It's about grace. Grace for kids, grace for parents, and grace for teachers. It's all about the grace. And the other thing that I'm noticing when we, we have parents in in this common, as school districts are starting to explore things like personalized learning and helping learners discover how they learn, meaning myself, I love to have conversation around content, to just bounce ideas, help me understand it through conversation. Where another student says, you know what, I need to have a video and I want to draw things out. Let me process and then I'll come to the table. In this kind of environment we're in now, we have the ability to provide information in multiple formats. We can do video, we can do art, we can, all of these things are easier to share now, but we're having an opportunity with parents to ask them, you know how your student learns better than I do. You know that, you know that child. Let's partner together and you tell me, how can I better know how to service your child and how can we both help your child learn to advocate for the resources that he or she needs? I think there's an interesting dynamic that is starting to forge to help us all help kids be better learners. If I could just jump in again, this is Megan. I really feel like it's a, such a special time where we can let students and parents shine and show their strengths and talents. So for example, in rural Nebraska, it's calving season. So many of my students are helping on the ranch with 
with real chores, you know, around the clock. And so I'm turning that into their lesson. You know, write me a free verse poem about pulling a calf last night and show me a picture of what you're doing. This is so incredible. So I think it's also important for the parents and students to know that I can also learn from them during this time and get an even deeper glimpse into their day-to-day -day lives. I appreciate all your perspectives and really all your enthusiasm. Uh, it's infectious and I'm sure it's what we need. Let me ask you before we close our time to go around the horn. We'll start in Nebraska and end in Kansas. Two-part question. This is challenging. What do you expect to be the toughest challenge to conquer? And sort of in that context, what advice would you give to your colleagues and your broader colleagues teaching across the country at this point in this epidemic? I'll start. The thing that worries me the most is kids that, I, that aren't connecting with me. So I have 125 kids, 30 of them have connected with me in these two weeks we've been working on this. I worry about the others. Are they safe? Are they warm? Do they have enough to eat is a big problem for us. And we'll get to the learning, we'll get there. And so what I, what I want, what we are doing here is, is collaborating as schools and reaching out to those kids. So, so not that seven teachers are reaching out to one child, but, but we're kind of dividing and conquering so that those families and those children can stay connected. Uh, if we don't come back until August, we're gonna be out 22 weeks, almost a half a year. How do you help students stay engaged? Especially our children who struggle to learn, especially our children who are behind, how do you keep them from not only losing, but losing more than others? So those are the things I worry about. Megan? The things I worry about are the relationships. I think one thing that I have noticed as, a, as an educator is that, yes, I love teaching. But the reason that I love teaching is because I love building relationships with my students. And so not having that face-to-face -face interaction and maybe missing out on some of their uh, highs and lows of everyday life, that's tough on me and I think it's tough on them as well. So for me, it would be just losing that piece of relationship building. And the advice that I would give to my fellow Nebraska educators would be to take a step back, remember what the big picture is. Yes, we are teachers and we love to teach and we are going to continue to do that, but also to not overwhelm students. Remember that it takes about twice as long to complete an assignment at home as it does in school. And so just to remember to let your students have that time with their family, to experience some time outdoors, and we're gonna keep teaching, there's no doubt about that, but to also take a step back and realize that health and safety is the number one priority right now. Absolutely. Thank you, Megan and, and Jody both. Those were excellent. The part that I worry about or I find that's going to be the most challenging, it always starts with, are our children okay? That It's always there. I worry about the child who might not be in a safe home and I can't, I can't reach him. I can't find out if she's okay. That part worries me a lot. And I think that's the biggest burden that all of us face when we children come in every day, we can look at them in the eye and say, are you okay? That's not simple to do at this point. The other part that's difficult for me is helping teachers realize this less is more. You cannot take school eight hours and transform that into a digital space. It doesn't work, it's not good for families, it's, it's, you're asking the impossible. We teach in boxes. 
especially the secondary. One box happens for 40 minutes, then we go to the next box, and that happens for 40 minutes, and so on. You can't teach subjects in isolation. So once we can get past the idea that you can collaborate and cross-curricular mesh ideas to where it's more purposeful and have real-world context, I think we're going to be fine. But that is a giant learning curve for a lot of teachers. So that part, I think, is the hardest. But my advice is don't be afraid to challenge students to be creative in their response to you. I loved the idea here with the calving piece. Use the materials, the experiences, the environment around you to tell your story. And just because I might be teaching math doesn't mean I have to use paper and pencil to, teach, to practice my math at all. I can use the dirt with a stick out in the yard. I can actually challenge students with some STEM things on using the application. Think about how we can make learning relevant for students and their families, and I think we're on the right path. Well, I want to thank all three of you for coming on and sharing your perspectives, your exuberance and optimism, which we really need in these times, because when it looks like it's going to rain for a long time, we got to learn to work in the rain. And I appreciate your efforts on that. So thanks for coming on the report card and best of luck in the rest of this topsy-turvy school year. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Report Card with Nat Malkus. And special thanks to our guests, Jody Jantz, Megan Helberg, and, and Diane Smokorowski. Thanks also to our producers who make these podcasts possible. That includes Matt Rice and Tyler Hoover. Remember to subscribe to The Report Card on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, review us to help other people find the show. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, or topic suggestions. Send your thoughts to ed.podcast at AEI.org. Signing off for this week, I'm Nat Mountains.